Well, church, our uh, Lottie Moon Christmas goal was $300,000, and through the month of January, we've gone to two seventy-eight. so it's drawn to the close, but I want to thank you for your faithful giving, uh, for helping put 5,500 Southern Baptist missionaries in a place where they can share the good news of Christ with people, many of whom have never heard the name of, of Jesus. So thank you for that, and just, just thank you for your faithful giving. I've told this week that our, our missions committee has been in dialogue. We, we sponsor, you know, a lot of missionaries and give them to a large fund, but we intentionally try to encourage or support or walk with about 40 missionary families. And we stay in touch with them, and we send people to visit them. We give them materials. And the missions committee this week said, because of your giving, uh, they sent an email to all these missionaries, said, we want to underscore the importance of your marriage. So we're going to give you the opportunity to go on a marriage retreat. We're going to send you the material, and you're going to tell us where you want to go. And if you have to fly there within you know, a small, small, small distance, we'll do that. We're going to put you up in a nice hotel for two nights. You've got to promise you'll, go, you'll work through this material and love each other because we want to build you up in faith. I just thought that was wonderful. That's a great vision. I want to thank our missions committee for that. But thanks for your giving. Well, here's a question. What, what builds endurance, steadfastness, a stick to a, a go-for-it spirit in the child of God? The text we'll look at this morning answers that question. Paul has established that the church of Thessalonians are in God the Father, and they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, I continue to thank God as I remember you, and, and, and I continue to remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and this morning your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Endurance comes as we are men and women who understand the hope of heaven. And we have a forever mindset. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. Through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and reserved in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. And then Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 and 12 says this, We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope certain or sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. As one theologian said about 60 years ago, we live in the already, but the not yet. We live between D-Day and V-Day, he said, a guy named Oscar Kuhlman. Or as the old hymn says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste. See, a foretaste of glory divine. The already, but the not yet. The best is yet to be. A forever mindset. People sometimes ask me, how's it going? And oftentimes I respond, battles and blessings. And then I say, oftentimes, thanks be to God, more blessings than battles. But as long as we live in this world, on this side of heaven, 
battles and blessings will mark our lives. Endurance comes as we have hope in the reality of Christ and the coming heaven. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I, I say that, and I, 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 I just I believe that our, this is our main our problem, one of our problems. We are eternity amnesiacs. We, we can go through a whole week, a worship service, uh, without seriously thinking about the hope of heaven. And, and, and so when that happens, we're always looking for, to a degree, we're looking for the, the perfect day, the perfect diet, the perfect vacation, the perfect family, the, the perfect uh, whatever, and it doesn't exist. I talked to a single young woman years ago, and she said, I'm just waiting to meet the man who will meet all my needs. The people laughing are the people that are married. <laughs> you know, seriously. I mean, if, if, if you, and I, as soon as she said that, I thought, oh, my soul. When, when she meets that person and marries him, he is in for a long ride. That's, I mean, that's why I, I tell people all the time, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're married, in any relationship, you go to the cross and you deal with your junk and you confess your sin and then you come to one another. No, in marriage or any relationship, we are two imperfect people loving each other or caring for each other with all of our issues under a perfect, glorious, triune God. And that, that's, that's life. Uh, so listen, I read this. I, I can't remember where I read this, but I wrote it down in my journal. It is impossible to be satisfied with the world that is because God has planted eternity in our hearts. It's impossible. It's impossible to be satisfied, truly satisfied, in a fallen world because God has planted eternity in your hearts. Now, C.S. Lewis deals with this brilliantly and in a very understandable fashion. And it's kind of lined out in your bulletin from your Christianity. So there's three responses to this whole concept of eternity and eternity in your hearts. He says, response number one is what he calls the fool's way. And he says, the, the fool ways, fool's way is you're always looking for the perfect spouse, the perfect vacation, the, the perfect home. And he says, this is why the rich and the discontented go from relationship to relationship and marriage to marriage, because they're always looking for that perfect thing that does not exist. For our understanding, I call this the Coastal Carolina Fair Syndrome. Now, the Coastal Carolina Fair is a, is a holiday extravaganza in the fall that takes place in Ladson. And it's something that I never, ever, ever go to. Since my children got a little older, I said, I can now check that off of my forever calendar. But, you, but, but for years, I don't know if they still they do this, the, the theme was the Coastal Carolina Fair, bigger and better every year. Well, think about that. There's only so many roller coasters. There's only so much land in Ladson. There's only so many ways you can deep fry everything in the world 
I mean, bigger and better every year. That, that's kind of the way we live. It's got to be bigger and better every year. And Lewis says, that is the fool's way. Because it, you, don't get, you live in a fallen world. He says the second way is what he calls the way of the disillusioned, sensible man. And he says, this is the man who hits midlife and realizes that he's not going to get there. And so he just kind of drops back and he punts on life. And he says, well, I guess I'll just have to exist in this reality and keep a, st- keep a, st- a stiff upper lip. Th- their bumper sticker would say, um, grin and bear it. And he calls that the way of the disillusioned, sensible man. And he says this man is, is uh, easier to live with than the former man, but he's something of a, a, a pain in the back because they become cynical and uncaring. And they say, oh, well, that's just life. You shouldn't expect too much. But he says there's the third way, the biblical way, the Christian way. And the third way says there is an eternity planted in our hearts, and that would not be planted there if it did not exist. And then he says this at the bottom. He says, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other hand, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press onto that other country and help others to do the same. I must never let it get, never let it get snowed under. Already, but not yet. What, 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 builds, what builds endurance, according to the passage, is hope in the reality of Christ and the glory of heaven. And so just a, a few comments here. First of all, we are eternity amnesiacs. This is what Augustine said in the very first part of his book, The Confessions. He says, you arouse Almighty God us so that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us and drawn us to yourself and our hearts are restless or unquiet until our hearts rest in you. We are restless until we find our rest in you. And that's why Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, starting in verse 14, for, for if, if those who understand, see, we know, we know that Christ We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise with us, us with Jesus and to present us with you in his presence. And all of this, verse 15, is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So we know that the one who raised the Lord from the dead will raise us with him. And he says this, therefore, therefore, We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, 
we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It, it, we fix our eyes. Listen, never let it get snowed under. As you get older and as your friends get older and you have an ache or a pain, you say God is ripening you for eternity. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. This is temporary. The unseen is the eternity. Point number two here is we, we, we get crushed and disappointed because we look for total joys in, in a relationship or a vacation or a certain zip code. Wonderful book on this issue is called Forever by Paul David Tripp, and he says this. It's in the bulletin. Most of the things, most of the things we hope in and for don't have much of the shelf life. Most of us are just around the corner from having our hopes shattered. We are more hopeless than we think we are, and we are hopeless because we have detached our hopes from eternity. This is the way it works. You, you go on a wonderful vacation, and it's, 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 it was a wonderful week or two weeks, and, and you come back, and people say, how was it? You say, if you don't have an eternal perspective, you say, well, it was wonderful, but I've got to go back to work on Monday. Or you say, it was wonderful, but, you know, I got sunburned. Or it was wonderful, but there wasn't powder to ski on three of the six days we skied. Something like that. Because there's always this more you want. Unless you had this mind. You say, how was your vacation? It was wonderful. And then you say to yourself or to them, and you know, it's, it's only a foretaste of the glory that will one day come. It was, it was glorious. And, and, and if 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 the mountains here are beautiful. If the beach here is lovely, just think of the glories of heaven that no man can imagine and no tongue can talk about. See, it makes, makes all the difference. Example, in dealing with death. Death is hard. Death is hard. Burying loved ones is very hard. And, and there are people here who have buried spouses and, God forbid, children. It's hard. I was reading this week a couple of things over the last few weeks. One is an interview with a woman named Angelica Houston, who was an actress whose father was a well-known producer and director, John Houston, and she was in numerous relationships. And she said, at age 40, I said, you know, I think I'm mature enough to maybe now get married. And so she got married at age 41, and she was married to, this, uh, to a man for, named Robert Graham for 16 years, and then he died of cancer. And this is what she said in an interview in a national magazine. I, I just came through a huge event in my life, the sickness and death of my husband. I like to be associated with strength rather than weakness and misery, but... but We've made up for all these, we're made up of all these components. There's always a moment when you are deeply alone in your own skin. And it's hard to come to terms with it. There's a period after something like the death of a spouse where you can totally understand why widows wore veils. Because no one should really look upon you for a couple of years and you really shouldn't look upon anyone else. 
you're very tender. You feel like something uncooked. And people can be very unpleasant when you're in a state of grief. That incredible statement. But there's no hope. And then I read this last December, this editorial written by a man whose father had just passed away. And listen to this. This is from the Wall Street Journal. The sicker my father got, the more dependent he became on his family and the less he had to give back. What could he offer except not to sink us into the terror he surely must have felt? So we maintain his usual active and joyful interest in our lives and the lives of his friends and in politics and the movies we watch together. Sticking to the mundane and the lighthearted was his way of being protective with the people he loved. For as long as he could muster his wits, death was not allowed to enter the room. Throughout his life, my father taught me many lessons about language, history, and philosophy, and ethics, and loyalty, and love. And in the end, he taught me that death cannot destroy the dignity of a dignified man. What a great statement. What a tribute of a son to his father. But but let me say this. How I wish, he said, in in the final analysis, like the Apostle Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's not there. Where's the hope? Where's in this little book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I think the, the best passage, the best verse in the Bible on grief, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13 says this, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who die or to grieve like the rest who have no hope. We have hope. We have hope. Thank God for hope. And you see, that, that that makes all the difference. Glorious hope. Point number three is this. And I... When you understand we live in the almost but the not yet, or the already but not yet, and we, we live in the blessed assurance Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I, I, I don't, let me, let me just show you this. So over here, let's say, on this end of the continuum is perfection. That's close to perfection. That's beautiful. Okay. So, so, so over here is perfection, and, and we, we long for that, but, but we know either through experience or through the scripture that we'll, we'll never get back in the Garden of Eden. You're just not going to get back in the Garden of Eden. You'll, you'll never have perfection. And so, and so you realize that you deal with stuff. But, but then on the other hand, here's a gar- on the other extreme is a garbage dump. And, and as, I, as I thought about this, here, here's, see, we'll never be perfect. But all too often, I think, when we say, well, we'll never be perfect, we settle for far less. So in this continuum, I think we should be somewhere here. I don't know the exact answer. All I know is that God wants to make us new people. And I feel that we settle for relationships or marriages or parenting or worship that is dishonoring to the God who is because we can't get perfection, so we settle for the garbage dump. Do you understand that? I think we stay in the word and in prayer and we, we plead with God, God, show us the mind of Christ and don't let it get snowed under. Let us know 
the way we should live. Thanks be to God for good theology that says you'll never be done with sin. You'll always deal with stuff till the day you die. So we walk with brokenness and kindness and forgiveness. But thanks be to God for the word of God that tells us God wants to make us new men and women in Jesus. Don't settle for substandard living. God, by his spirit, wants to change us from glory to glory, present tense, ongoing, till we die. So when we, live, have, when we have a heavenly mindset, three things. Number one, when we have a heavenly mindset, it leads to God-glorifying living. Listen, listen to this. This is Psalm 84. Psalm 84, verse, verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they're ever praising you. Now, we know the house of God is now Jesus. He's the temple of God fulfilled. Do we understand this passage? Blessed are those who dwell in the shadow and the glory and the wonder of all Christ is, for they're ever praising you. The next verse. Blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Now, how do you go... Verse 7, and they have gone from strength to strength. How do you go from strength to strength? In part, you set your hearts on pilgrimage. You realize you live in the already, but the not yet. You realize that glory awaits, you, and you go for it. And you do not let that hope get snowed under. And you endure, and you persevere, and you glory, because Jesus is the final word in heaven. 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 7, talks about marriage, talks about husbands. Husbands, in the same way, live, be considerate or be understanding as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Don't ever use your strength, men, to, to intimidate your wives. Use your strength to serve them, he says. As the weaker partner and as a co-heir with you of the gracious gift of life. What's the basis? What's the basis of considerate, knowledgeable, protective love on the part of the husband? In part, they are co-heirs with you of eternal life, the hope of heaven, the glory of Christ. And he keeps on going. He says, chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can Pray above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. How do you love one another? Read it in context. The end is near. Life is a vapor. You're going to die pretty soon. So, so love each other. Live in light of eternity. Love each other. Be caring. Be kind. The end is near. And the pastors and Elders and spiritual leaders, chapter 4, or chapter 5, listen to, to verses uh, 3 and 4. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Why? And in part, why? Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There's a great day coming. The chief shepherd is coming back. So love people tenderly. Don't, don't browbeat them, but be examples. Don't manipulate, but care for them. 
Well, chapter 2. How do you stay sexually pure? Chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and exiles or strangers and pilgrims in this world to abstain from the passions of the flesh because it wages war against your eternal interest. Don't let the hope get snowed under. Endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, one, one, one reality is, is that, quite frankly, is when you, when you get hold of this, you celebrate faithful men and women who wear plaid. They just, they're just regular people. They're not possessed people. They just get up every day and they serve and they care and they love and they do things that no one knows about and they pray and they're faithful and they care and they serve. Those are the people I celebrate. I don't celebrate the, the Christian superstar mentality. I celebrate faithful men and women who just have done it year after year after decade after decade. Now, how do they do it? How do you do it? Endurance, inspired by hope. We live in the already, but the not yet. And when you look at this, you, it, gives you, it brings perspective. Listen, when circumstances rise to the levels of importance, way beyond their actual importance, they exercise more control over you than they should. When circumstances rise to a place that... Are, of importance where they shouldn't, they, they, they control your life. Example. My uh, daughter played volleyball at Wando. Her senior year, they were pretty good. And they won the state quarterfinals. They were playing the state semifinals. And before the game, two other dads came up to me very excited and said, we just started talking, and if they win this game, they go to the finals, the state finals. We're going to shave our heads. And we want you to be part of our pact. <laughs> Serious. And I, I heard a voice in the back of my mind. My wife and I, for some reason, we had this discussion. My wife says, you know, some men look absolutely handsome with a shaved head. Because sometimes I was like, I'm just going to shave my head. because I just don't. I used to spend 10 seconds a day combing my hair. I'm going to save 10 seconds a day. And, and she says, some men look handsome with shaved head. You would not be in that number. <laughs> and, and so I heard those guys, they were looking at me like, are you with us? And I went, man, wow. <laughs> I, did, I didn't commit. And, and really, I hate to admit this, but we lost, and I was kind of glad. <laughs> it, it took the heat off. You know, things in perspective, one of my favorite illustrations that I've used for years and years and years because I read it when I was in, in seminary, but there's a man named John McKay who used to be the head coach at Southern Cal and then at Tampa Bay. And in the last few years, I've gotten to know a guy named Bill Kynes who grew up with John McKay's family and knew John McKay real well. And John McKay was a character, and Bill says he was more of a character than you realize. But for years, the last game of the season was, was Notre Dame and Southern Cal. And that game always had national ramifications. And one year... Notre Dame came to Los Angeles and played in the Coliseum. They were number two. Southern Cal was number one. The winner would be national champion. And, and Notre Dame won. And the story goes, according to Sports Illustrated, John McKay goes in the locker room. 
his team had played a magnificent game, but they had lost, and the guys were weeping and, and, and just sitting there glumly, of course. And McKay came up and kind of stood on his stool and he said, gentlemen, I have one thing to say to you as a team. First, you've played magnificently. But let me say also this to you. There are one billion Chinese who don't care who won this ballgame. <laughs> In other words, this is not the end of life. You see, when you have eternity, it gives you perspective. This book I read recently, well, let me just give you this quote first. There's nothing that can clear the vision faster than the discovery that all things are temporary, and so am I. When we get our footsies, that's the word he used, our footsies so mired down in time that we think it is eternal, we become subject to all the ups and downs and the vagaries of time itself. This book I just I read a couple weeks ago, bestseller list, it's about the growth of of the church in, in really one city in China, written by a well-known uh, Chinese playwright who's not a believer. It's an incredible book written by, he says, I'm not a Christian, I've, I've heard it, I, I'm not there yet, but he talks about the growth of the church in China. He just writes in a very simple way as, as a non-believer. But let me give you just a couple of quotes, a couple of stories. He starts off by interviewing a man whose father had been a leader in the church in their particular districts in southwest China. And this man's father had been imprisoned and put on a mock trial and beaten and put to death. And his son has become a leader in the underground church. And this is what he says. I don't feel bitter. As Christians, we forgive the sinner and move on to the future. We are grateful for what we have today. There is so much for us to do. In our society today, people's minds are entangled and chaotic. They need the words of the gospel now more than at any other time. Here's, here's a non-believer quoting this guy. It's just amazing to me. And he goes on near the end of the book. He talks about a man who was falsely accused. He was put on show trial. People came forward and they made accusations against him. This man had never met. Of course, the accusations were false. They, they would parade you around uh, during the you know, during the 60s, they prayed around with a dunce cap on, and people would mock you and throw things at you. And so this man was condemned to die. He was in his early 30s. His mom heard about it, and his sister, his dad, had passed away. And through some secret channels, she heard her son was going to be dying. He was going to be transferred from City A to City B. And they had no money. They had one chicken, so they, they, they killed the chicken. They made chicken stew, which was his favorite and they walked for 15 or 15 miles to be at a certain junction when the, the, the truck would come by and stop, and they would change guards. And so they stopped, and she went running up, and she played with the guards, please unshackle my son. He's to be executed and let him have his last meal. And the guards had mercy on him and her, and they unshackled him. And he sat at the side of the road with guards standing behind him and his mom and his sister, and she fed him his last meal. And this is what he wrote. They waited at the designated spot for about three hours in the truck carrying my brother. The sisters telling the story stopped and he got out and my mother begged the militia man to take his shackles off so he could eat his meal. They did. 
The brother ate the chicken and he consumed the soup. And when he finished eating, he whispered to my mother, I'm going to die soon. Don't be sad. I'm not afraid of death. I've been carrying a miniature Bible I smuggled in with me. And I, I've, I've been praying. I know that I won't be able to escape death. People in the region have charged me with many crimes, even though they don't even know who I am. I'm innocent, and I'm not going to admit guilt. They will ship me back to Pufu to have me killed there, and I'm glad I'm going back there because I have my Bible with me, and I'll be buried in the place where I used to work and preach the gospel of Christ. Mother, we're all going to die someday. Don't be discouraged by my death. Continue with your faith. What gives endurance? Perseverance? The ability to stand there and stick there and go for it? The Bible says, inspired by the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God make us people of endurance and courage who stand in the gap because of the hope of heaven. Don't let that hope get snowed under. And this week, think about it. This week, when somebody says, how are you doing? Say, doing good. I'm getting ripened for heaven. Yeah, it's true. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day you've given us. Uh, thank you that, um, I think of the, the hymn, Honor Christian Soldiers, we're, we're treading where the saints have trod. We are we have received a baton and the legacy of life. And uh, people have gone before us who've just been faithful. Many of them plaid-wearing faithful people who the, the world doesn't really stand astounded at, but your angels do. The courts of heaven celebrate them. Uh, so, Lord, I pray that we would have a work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for brothers and sisters uh, in our own fellowship who are suffering right now through sickness and heartache. And we pray for suffering believers around the world who are meeting uh, in cellars or in forest or being falsely accused and in many cases being put to death. Thank you for their endurance. And may we endure, Lord, to the glory of your name. May, may, may the coming generations... Um, say of us that they were faithful to the charge that they had because of the hope of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.